Hello, welcome to Co-op Grain Elevator. Can I help you? I can't sleep. You can't sleep? It's that bright sign you have that says Wanted, High Oleic Soybeans. It's keeping me awake, and I live 20 miles away. Well, demand for High Oleic Soybeans is so high, we need every bushel you farmers can grow. We're paying a premium. A premium? And with less hassle. Well, I'm sold. I'll talk to my seed rep and grow it. Now, can you turn off the sign? Well, have more farmers visit SoyInnovation.com, brought to you by the Soy Checkoff, and we can talk. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Nick Mayhew. Nick, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's just go back in time. Like, How did you first get involved in like sports and soccer and things like that? Um, I was really born into it. You know, my, my brother's five and a half years older than me. Um, my dad played sports growing up. So um, as soon as he had one son, he got him into sports. And then my brother uh, picked up soccer, was really good at it. And, um, you know, growing up, I just wanted to be just like him and, you know, really just emulate him and, and wanted to be better than anything that he did. So I played soccer, too. And then, you know, played played soccer my whole life, played basketball a little bit, um, snowboarded you know just try to be as athletic as possible yeah yeah for sure now you were in the the 2021 Paralympics uh what what was the journey like to just like qualify for that um is it like the same as like the Olympics like explain it to me yeah so um I mean it's the same exact thing as the Olympics there's um I mean you have to go to U.S. trials and then you have to hit their standard there's the Olympic standard which um you know Anybody like you saw DK Metcalf go to the U.S. trials and try to qualify and hit that standard. He just didn't hit it. So anyone, if you're if you're eligible um, for the Paralympics or if you're eligible for the, the Olympics, it's, a, it's all in the same. Um, you just have to hit your standard. And if you hit your standard, then you get selected. So um, I had to, you know, I was training for the last 18 to, you know, 20 months um, solely track and field, 10 hours a day, six days a week, every single, you know, Every single day I was at it and uh, went to uh, U.S. Trials, and that was actually my first legit uh, track meet, which uh, which was the qualifying event to go to the Olympics, which was crazy. So, um, you know, it was just a, it was a crazy experience. It's definitely been a roller coaster. It's definitely moved very, very fast. But, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you how I discovered you. I think, you know, it's probably it's from it was from TikTok. So the new, new, oh, age, really? <laughs> new age of uh, right. social media. So, uh, <laughs> so definitely like, I mean, I work with athletes all the time and I tell them like, I was like, you got, everyone got to get on TikTok. Like all of them got to get. Mm-hmm. So, so just to show you that it's important. That's how I knew about you. Cause if I wasn't, then I probably wouldn't know. There you go. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just going into the Paralympics, like obviously we're in this weird still stage with the pandemic and stuff. Um, so what was it like just to travel and and then just like the arrangements and all the all the viral uh videos with like the quote unquote like uh the beds and things like that like what was what was just that like the environment yeah i mean it was definitely just a once in a lifetime i mean because that's the thing it was pretty cool to be able to be i mean this being my first paralympics this was first like my first legit um you know event like this um i'm i'm excited that it was the it was in total because it was the pandemic ones it was because it was so different and I was actually interested because I knew what the other um you know villages were like I knew what the other athlete villages and the other experiences you know the rumors and the stories and all that um 
but to be there for that, I mean, I was just excited and I'm glad it was in Tokyo because Tokyo is one of the most clean and Japan is just a clean disciplined country. And, you know, there's no trash anywhere on the street. There's no, um, everybody's just doing their job and, and doing their job correctly. And so when we got there, it was, everything was flawless. You know, it was, it was actually really, really nice. And then you go into all the, um, the funny stuff of the cardboard beds, which really were cardboard. They were more like plastic cardboard. It wasn't just like flimsy little cardboard boxes that we were sleeping on, but the mattresses were recycled plastic. Um, the beds were plastic cardboard and they were very, very uncomfortable. And, uh, but you know, it, it was cool. We all, I mean, we stayed in our team USA building. We had, you know, our own game rooms and stuff. We had our own entertainment rooms and, and we all got to, like I was, it was cool to hang out with everybody to meet as many people as possible. And then to be able to see the, uh, the other athletes um, from other countries and see how they work and what they do. And, you know, it was just a, it was a good experience overall, but I'm, I'm definitely excited for fans to be back and for life to be back to normal in Paris. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, which one was uh, the first race you ran in? Like the first the one was the 100, the 100. 100. Yeah, yeah. All mm -hmm. right. So, so when you, when you got there, like, like, were you, like you get there and stuff, were you like nervous? Um, I wouldn't say I was nervous. I wasn't nervous to compete. I was nervous. As soon as I would like, it was the environment, um, yeah. you know, to walk into the only time I really felt nervous, to be honest, was opening ceremonies yeah. is when we walked in and, you know, there's nobody in the stands like they, like there should be. And I'm used to playing in front of fans anyway, you know, in college and mm -hmm. with the national team for soccer. And, you know, there's so many fans just in general, anywhere we go. So, I mean, that's something that doesn't really affect me, but just walking into the Tokyo stadium and know, knowing and realizing, you know, the essence of why we were there and the meaning of it all and to walk out there with the flag and walk out with there with all team usa and then you know to see everybody see everything and that's when it kind of like hit me see how big the stadium actually was yeah. i was like damn and then you know uh, going leading up to my 100 i was so prepared i'd done everything i could to you know mentally and physically prepare myself so i mean i walked onto that track and i had visualized so many times before that I just knew what I was going to do and I knew that it was nothing new you know it was just another rep so I wasn't nervous going into the race but I was before it for sure definitely yeah so so you won the gold and set a world record uh so what did, what did that mean to you I mean it's cool you know it, it hasn't really hit me yet you know even after everything that I did you know um it's it's sort of I, I think I sort of expected it um, you know, I sat down with my coach before I left, uh, the States to come to Tokyo and we wrote down everything we were going to, we were going to do. And he was like, all right, well, this is your first race at the 100 prelim. And, and he was like, what time do you want to run? And I told him 10, nine. And he was like, so and he was like, all right, so you want to break the world record run 10, nine. And I was like, yep. And then he was like, all right, in the final, what do you want to do? What time do you want to run? And I told him I want to run faster. told him I wanted to break the world record again and win gold. And we did that with every single race. And so that was, it was sort of ingrained in my head that I was already going to do what I did. And, but to actually do it, you know, there's, there's a heightened, just amount of emotions. I'm sure you could see when I ran across the finish line, I'm screaming, mm -hmm. staring at the clock 15 years before I do it. Just, you know, I was just, it's just in that moment, you just kind of, everything that you plan that you want to do just goes out the windows and you just act on pure emotion. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah, for sure. And you didn't just win one gold, you won three golds and a, and a silver like what, what has it been like, just like, you know, people reaching out, like getting on interviews, like think like, well, how has your life changed basically? 
Uh, it hasn't really changed that much, to be honest. I mean, you know, it, it definitely, I remember standing up there on the podium and I got really emotional the first time I was on and then I got really emotional on my fourth medal. And just because mm -hmm. I was just thinking about, um, you know, all the last two years that I put into really doing all this and the amount of work and time my brother and I put into this and, you know, just wishing that he could have been there uh, to see everything in person and to be able to really experience that with him. That's something that we had worked towards for two years. And then, you know, when I got back, it was really good to see him, really good to see my family. And I mean, hasn't really, nothing really changed. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, any, anything other than like my Instagram followers and my social media following really, you know, my social media following is up now, but I mean, my everyday personal life, nothing's really changed. People don't really speak to me differently or anything like that. Um, I kind of stray away from people like that anyway. So yeah. I'm sure there are people like that trying to get in touch or trying to reach out and, and do some nice things now that they didn't used to do before all this, but yeah. I don't really pay that any mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the dope thing too that I saw before the um, a para, Paralympics started that the, I guess the U.S. whatever you want to call it the the sanctioned body whatever they let mm -hmm. everyone so now that they're equal pay for for the gold medals so that I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and that's and that's important yeah. too because yeah, this I mean sure. it's pretty it's pretty cool to uh, be a part of that just because it's the first year that. They they've ever done that which is cool but i mean it's just a huge step in the right direction for the paralympics too yeah so i'm excited hopefully hopefully there'll be a lot more things coming especially going to paris because in paris i'm just in three years time i want to do it all over again I'm, yeah. I'm excited yeah for sure yeah i mean probably obviously the other weird thing about the pandemic it you know there it was labeled still as 2020 and we're in 2021 so it was just like mm -hmm. i just remember like looking at twitter and i'm like all right do i search like 2021 or like 2020 olympics or like yeah. what's like it was just crazy but uh, yeah, could you explain to the people just like what, uh, like the disability you have and like the T, like what T37 means in the, in the track and field? Yeah, so I was born with cerebral palsy. Um, I have a very mild form of it. Um, what people don't know is that cerebral palsy is a very wide range neurological disorder. Um, so it can affect, you know, um, your nerves, your motor function, your range of motion, everything physical um along one or two limbs three or four it just really depends on your specific case um but it really just affects your motor function um your your range of motion and the ability to use a limb or you know digits on your finger or your feet or your ankles just sort of joints and everything it really just affects um everything sort of physical um that goes hand in hand with sport mm -hmm. um me specifically um i grew up 14 years of my life always knowing that there was something wrong um, not really acknowledging it because I was so athletic. So, you know, um, I made everything look so normal that no one really ever thought, you know, there was something necessarily medically wrong. And, but I always knew, I always knew that there was something different between my left and my right side. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it wasn't until I was 14 years old that I had a grand mal seizure um, before I went to high school. It was, I woke up, I was laying in my bed and I had a grand mal seizure. My mom called 911. I was rushed to the hospital bit completely through both sides of my tongue and you know I at that moment I thought that that was it for me I had no idea I was a 14 year old kid I had no idea what was going on and I got rushed to the hospital they ran a bunch of tests and scans and found a dead spot on the right side of my brain and if you look on my any of my merch that I just released or on my Instagram or anything you'll see the MRI and it's just like a dead spot it's just the size of a golf ball pretty much and it's just a uh, an inactive part of my brain and that's caused from a stroke that I had in utero from trees uh, uh, that caused my cerebral palsy. So 
um, it's been, you know, a hell of a ride and, you know, it's, it's been pretty crazy, but I, even I wouldn't, you know, say that I'm an expert in CP or cerebral palsy and what I know that I'm still learning every day about stuff, you know, people reach out to me and, and, you know, give me information on it or ask me questions that I didn't really know, or just something like that. Like I'm always learning about it. Um, but within the track and field specifically, um, we are the classes from 35, we're considered T35 through T38. So there's 35 is considered the most severe case. And then 38 is considered the uh, least severe. Um, I'm classified as a T37, which would be a textbook CP athlete. You would be able to watch him, um, you know, uh, either play a sport or in the medical room when they're doing the testing and be like, okay, this kid has cerebral palsy. It's very clear. You can see the differences between his left and his right side. And you know, to to my credit and to, you know, my family and my coaches, I've, you know, worked my entire life to try to hide that, you know, and so to the untrained medical eye, you wouldn't never be able to tell that, you know, mm -hmm. I may be a disabled athlete, but, you know, I've, I've put in the work, as cliche as it sounds, I've practiced and, and tried to put in the work every single day to make it look as fluid as possible to, you know, to try to exceed expectations, which I think I've done a pretty good job of doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, you played uh, Division One soccer at, at Radford, um, mm -hmm. and then you're also on the the U.S. national team. So, what, what's it like being a two sport athlete? Uh, I mean, it's it's humbling yeah. for sure. Uh, it's it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, to go from playing international soccer and you know being one of the best CP soccer players in the world to you know pick up a sport I knew nothing about was definitely shocking uh, I thought you know I was like oh fast it's cool like track is you just run straight right like you just have to just get in the box and get out and run it's not that bad it's not hard. and you know it, it really shocked my world real quick and you know I've never felt as unathletic as uncomfortable and you know out of my element as I did when I was you know training for track and field I had to completely relearn my running mechanics I had to break it all down from from square one and just like forget everything that I thought I knew and relearn everything and learn a lifetime of sport in less than two years. And it was an insane idea. A lot of people and doctors and scientists that I work with, um, you know, coaches that I work with were telling me I was too old. It's, it's biologically impossible for you to relearn and reteach your, your fibers to do that. You're, you know, you're a slow twitch marathon athlete in soccer and you're trying to become a fast twitch sprint athlete. It's, it's impossible. You're 25 years old. It's not, you can't do that. And, you know, it was just a fuel to the fire and, to, you know, be able to be here now doing what I did. I told myself from day one, I was able to do it. And, you know, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so now that you won all these golds and stuff, so are you, are you going to solely focus on track or are you still going to play soccer? I'm going to go, I want to play soccer too. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I definitely think, you know, it's been a, it's been a changing guard. I think that track is going to be my main thing now. I mean, I'm so obsessed with it. It's, you know, like I'll, I'll just sit on Instagram for, for hours or sit on YouTube and watch videos. You know, I'll be in the airport or on the airplane just watching my videos back and seeing things that I was doing, I did differently and th see things like mistakes that I made in races in Tokyo or before that and just watch, you know, Usain um, run and uh, Fred Curley and, and um, DeGrasse and all the top sprinters in the, in the world, you know, just try to pick up on things that they do. So I'm obsessed with it. It's, it's what I do all the time you know I'm always reading about it always trying to critique myself and learn more and do something um but you know I definitely and I'm definitely want to go back and play soccer I, it's what I love it's my first love it's what I was put on this earth to do and 
Um, you know, I'm definitely going to go back and enjoy it, but we'll see. I mean, if there's if there's ever a conflict of interest, I might have to choose one or the other. We'll, we'll see, but I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and in 2019, you were the U.S. Soccer Player of the Year, too. So uh, what, what did that mean to you to be named that? At that time, I mean, at that time, that was – that was a huge honor for me, especially to my teammates. And that's the main thing that I had always said, you know, it was, it was definitely cool for me to get that individual, you know, honor, but I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do that without my teammates. I mean, that, that team as a, as a whole, that year was so tough for us. We had been through a lot of adversity, a lot of, a lot of messed up things had gone on and out of our, our control. And so to be able to, you know, really cap it off with the bronze medal, at the Pan Am Games in 2019 and then, you know, to get home and to, you know, awarded that honor was was super cool. And at that time, that was the biggest moment of my life, you know. Um, so that was definitely, it felt good, but I knew that, you know, we weren't number one in the world, so it didn't really matter. You know, I could be, you give me all the awards and, you know, that I'm not, that's not really who I am. You know, I just want the team to be number one in the world. I want us to be the best. You know, I can, I can be the best, but it doesn't does mean nothing if my team ain't the best. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what what advice would you give to a, a young athlete coming up? That's a loaded question, but I mean, just to, to, I mean, there's a lot that, you know, young athletes nowadays don't do that. Um, you know, they kind of lose sight of it all with social media being what it is and trying to look cool and trying to look like you're doing a lot of things. And it's just, you know, just as simple and cliche as it is, just never forget why you started and to just always believe in yourself. Um, along the way you know if, if you can hold those two things close to you then you'll you'll never lose you know the the itch why you want to do what you do um you know like growing up I always um I always knew I loved soccer I always knew that I was good at it but I, I was good at it because I loved it and I was I wanted to get better at it every single day I, I have I have the word belief tattooed on my leg and you know I was always I, I'd always had my own back you know I'd always believed in myself first before anybody else I always believed myself and knew that no matter what no matter my disability no matter my left side or how weak my left foot was and how bad my my left pass was or you know I couldn't cross the ball in with my left to as well as I could my right and certain things like that like no matter what I always believe myself that I could you know be where I am today and if you don't then nobody else will and you know there's been a few times along the road that I've lost the love for it and you know it became a job and the things that I just wanted to quit and give up but as long as you remember why you started and, you know, break it all down to make it as simple as possible. It's just a game, you know, people, people turn it into all these things and turn it into full-time jobs and all these things that take it so seriously, but you just got to have fun with it and just always believe yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. Yeah, definitely. Um, did, like, did your coaches at, at your uh, college know that you had that? Not until, um, so it's funny because I got recruited by everybody um, without anybody knowing. Um, all throughout high school, I kept it a secret. Um, my first two years, I kept it for, for, as a secret um, in college. And then uh, <clears throat> when I was a junior at Radford, the Big South, our conference, um, released a video on me um, about me being on the national team and my disability and everything like that. And nobody on my team knew. And they actually reached out and they said, hey, we're going to release this. And the next couple of days, is that okay with you? What's up? And I was like, no, nah, just give me, give me like a week. I need to, I need to tell, I need to tell a couple of people something. And uh, so I sat down my entire, uh, all my teammates and the entire coaching staff down in the locker room. And I said, Hey, like you're about to learn something about me that 
uh, that, you know, nobody really knows. And I need to, you know, I just need to be honest with you guys because it's going to shock some of y'all. And I told them and a majority of them were, were supportive. And there were some that were like, nah, you're lying. Like, there's no way. There's, you're not disabled. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, yeah. and all these things. And, you know, my teammates, they were, they were good and bad with my teammates. But my coaches, I remember after I had said that in the locker room, they took me up to the coaching office. And my head coach and my two assistant coaches sat down. And they were like, why why didn't you, you know, let us know? Why didn't you? I mean, you, I understand why you didn't let your teammates know. But why wouldn't you let us know? You know, like, we recruited you. And for the first two years of my college career, my freshman and sophomore year, every single day after practice, um, Coach Butler, uh, Riley Butler, would stay after practice with me and make me stay after. And we would do extra drills, um, dribbling drills, and I would whip in balls with my left and do shooting drills. And we would do so many extra stuff after practice, my left foot every single day, just to try to make my left foot better, make it better, and just get better. And I never complained once. And, you know, and that's just the type of athlete that I was. And he actually, um, he uh, in the in the office, he was like, "Why, why didn't you tell me? You know, if if I knew that, I wouldn't have, you know, been so hard on you. I wouldn't have made you stay after every single day." And I I just sat back and I looked at him. And I said, "That's why, right there." I said, "That look, that tone of voice, yeah. everything. That's what I don't want. I don't want your sympathy. I don't want to be given, you know, the benefit of the doubt. I don't want." that look I don't want you to say those things I needed I needed that you know I needed that extra training I needed that extra work and you know if you want me to be the best soccer player I wanted the coach I wanted to be the best athlete I can be I needed that extra work I need to be pushed like that and you know they they respected it but you know they were definitely hesitant to to be like well we can we can still do this or do this, whatever but you know I just didn't want to be treated any different I didn't want to be looked down upon I didn't want to you know be given anything because I was quote-unquote you know, consider disabled, you know, it's, there's such a negative connotation with the word disability and it needs to change. And I just didn't want any of those things that could be related as negative towards it, you know? Um, but yeah. And then after that, it just kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of got out of control and we just, you know, things have blown up since then, but I'll never forget that. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree. As you probably don't know, I'm, I'm actually in a wheelchair. So I oh, really, know, yeah. So I know, all about what you're talking about like even like when i'm yeah. talking to people like i don't like if i'm trying to meet up with somebody or like had a job interview in the past like i didn't tell them unless i had to and like i would mm -hmm. look up if i could actually get into the place and things like that so yeah. like i totally understand what you're saying uh yeah, because you yeah once you tell somebody then yeah they might treat you different differently exactly mm -hmm. um there you go but yeah but yeah just uh going going what's next with you and then i know you you mentioned the 2024 olympics uh or paralympics um so but what else is next for you like in between those four years or three years um, three years yeah i mean uh i definitely it, it's funny because a lot of people that's probably the, the main question i get is what's next and that's that's what the first thing i said when i did an interview with nbc after i won in 200 they said well now you know you gotta go home what are you gonna do and i i got home and the first thing i did was uh, called up my brother called up my coach and just had a little team meeting uh, with us and i was like look What's next? What do we got to do? And, you know, I'm going to enjoy my time off for sure. Um, and then get right back to work. And whether that's, you know, training for soccer and getting back to the swing of things with soccer and football or, um, you know, getting back to track because we have, you know, I have the World Cup for uh, the national soccer team in, in April. And then we got the World Championships for track and field in Kobe, Japan in, in the summer. And then there's another soccer tournament in the fall. Um, you know, but there's definitely, there's a, there's a little thing I got growing up, um, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to see if I can get into one more sport. I think I'm going to try to do three, and uh, right. I'm going to keep it a secret as to see as uh, right now. I'm going to keep it a secret just to keep people on their toes because I, I don't want to you know say something and then and then not be able to do it. Uh, but there's something else I, I want to I want to try to do. Uh, they actually reached out and asked me if I was interested. It was, um, uh, but I'm definitely gonna gonna try to my my hand at a new sport. It's a winter sport, but we're gonna see we're gonna see if I'm able to do it. All right, that's dope. Um, uh, so I know you said you're on vacation right now. Where are you? Uh, I'm in uh I'm in Huntington Beach, California right now. Nice. Uh, all right. So you ready for some fun questions? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right. First, oh yeah. First, I want to give you other props too on your on your t-shirts for not just coming out with t-shirts with just your names on it. Like, because nah, I, mean, so, uh, <laughs> I don't think like, because <laughs> I, I don't know if people realize that. Um, obviously, you know, I'm sure, you know, with all the NIL stuff, people are just like throwing their name on a t-shirt. I'm just like, yeah. why would somebody want that? Yeah, no, I've, I've been thinking about that design, that everything. I mean, I have so many more things I'm about to, yeah. about to come out with. I'm trying to do it all the right way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was thinking about it cause I just came out with my logo a couple months ago and then I was mm -hmm. like, what could have been my first thing doing? And it was cool. Cause I was trying to incorporate my MRI and you know, that's, and it's so funny because so many people reach out and they're like, why do you have like, what is that? Like whose MRI is that? What, what is, whose picture of a brain is that? And I'm like, Oh, it's just some dude that I got off the internet. Like I just, I just went on Google and typed in messed up brain. And then I put the first one that I saw, like, nah, that's my brain. And so it's, it's funny. People are stupid, but you know, it's, I, I put a lot of, a lot of fun to that. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so what do you, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, play. I, I'm a big video game guy. I'm a big Call of Duty. I got an Xbox. Uh, I just ordered a. Uh, one of my friends makes PCs for my uh, for athletes and for gaming organizations and stuff. So, um, I just I just talked to him actually a couple of days ago, and he's building me a custom PC, which I'm hype about. Um, I'm a big video game guy. It's just I get so lost in it, and it's just me, and my friends. A majority of my, uh, some of my closest friends uh, are. Overseas, they play soccer internationally um, in different countries, and so it's video games is a really easy way for us to keep in touch and just kind of um, do us and um, hang out throughout the day with the time change and everything. But um, you know, I love the beach. I'm a beach kid through and through. So I mean, anytime that I can be at the beach, I'm gonna be there. You know, video games, the beach, just hanging out with my family and my friends. Um, I'm I'm a real homebody. I don't like being around a lot of people. Um, you know, I just like to do my own thing and I'm very comfortable in my own space. So if I allow you to enter my space, it's, then I, then it really means something to me. So I don't know. I'm just a normal guy. That's it. I love, I love Oreos. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much it, man. Um, what's your, what's your favorite song right now? Ooh, um, I would think I'm going to either say hats off by little baby or, Fair Trade on, on Drake's new album, Fair Trade with him and Travis Scott. All right. Yeah, I like those. Um, and then last one, what's uh what's uh what's your favorite cheat meal? Favorite <laughs> cheat meal. I gotta think about that. That's a I mean, because that's the thing, the the luxury of like me and my metabolism and my body i'm able to eat i, I mean i have a strict yeah. diet when i'm training and doing things but like i can i can afford a couple of more or, cheap or how about this how about this what was like the first meal that you got when you came back from tokyo uh i ate an entire like i i had a so when i got back from the airport i had so many people 
whether they were fans or family, um, come to the airport and bring me a bunch of Oreos. And I ate as many Oreos. <laughs> it's fun to go twice as hard as everyone else this time of year. That's why Dunkin' doesn't stop at just one signature holiday latte. So they made two, both handcrafted with rich espresso and topped with whipped cream. The holiday classic Peppermint Mocha features notes of mocha and cooling peppermint, while the toasted white chocolate is complete with creamy white chocolate flavor and cinnamon sugar dustings. They'll help you show the holidays a thing or two. America runs on Dunkin'. Present participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply.